Well, welcome to First Church. So excited that you guys are here today. It looks like we have a great crowd on site. Also, I know we have a whole bunch of people joining us online as well. I want to take a quick moment to welcome in the Long family. They're joining us from Sperry today. Candy, Jeff, and Aaron in Alabama, and Ashley, who's cheering for the Chiefs, she wanted us to know. So we are glad that them and all of our online family is joining us. If you are here in person, would you get loud? Clap your hands. Welcome in our online family. We're glad they're here with us also. And if you are new, my name's Chad, and this is Super Bowl Sunday. And if you can't tell, my team didn't make it to the big game, but I'm still a Cincinnati fan anyway. And I always like to check every single year to see who our church family is going to be rooting for tonight. So we're gonna vote by making some noise. Can you guys make some noise? Let me hear you. Can you make some noise? All right, some of you guys are awake. If not, get away, because we're gonna vote here in just a second. All right, two teams, you already know who they are. The first, San Francisco 49ers. So, hey, follow the rules. I haven't started yet, okay? That's all right. Hey, I'm glad. I love your enthusiasm. I really do. All right, if you're going to be cheering for San Francisco tonight, let me hear you. Oh. Good number, awesome, all right. More than what I anticipated, actually, okay. But then there's another team, this like team that Taylor's boyfriend plays for or something. Anyway, how many guys are gonna be cheering for the Kansas City Chiefs? Yeah, yeah, that's what I thought, awesome. And how many guys don't care at all who wins? Anybody just not care? Yeah, that's, that may be second place, actually, but. You know, honestly, I really don't care who wins tonight either because like I said, my team's not in it, but I do want it to be a good game because I hate a boring game and I'm a sports guy so I can think back at different moments in sports that stand out to me. There were just those epic moments, whether it was a football game, basketball game, soccer game, whatever. You know, those epic moments where you can remember where you were and who you were with when you were watching some game or some match. And I was thinking about that this week and I thought about a moment that happened back in 2010. It was in the Winter Olympics and it was a moment that I'll never forget it was a, one of those epic sports memories, and it had to do with Sean White. If you remember Sean White, he was a snowboarder and for, the, for Team USA in the Olympics, and he was competing in the halfpipe, and the way that this worked out was that everybody who qualified got to make two runs, and the person who had the highest score after both runs got, got gold. The second highest score got silver and so forth, pretty self-explanatory. Well, they went through the first run and Sean White had the highest score, so he's in first place. That means during the second run, he gets to go last. So everybody else goes in front of him and they get down to Sean and he still has the high score from the first run. So basically, he's guaranteed gold. He could go out that second time and fall on his knees and he would still win gold because he has the high score. But this is what he decided to do, watch this. This is his second time through, and he takes off, and he goes just as hard, if not harder, than his first time through. He's gonna give his absolute all, and he's gonna end up doing a move, a maneuver, known as a double twist 1260. This maneuver had never been successfully done in the Olympic Games before, but he's gonna try it, even though no one had ever done it before, and it's gonna come up here in just a second, right after this move right here, he's gonna do the double twist 1260. Here it is and he nails it. This was a much more difficult run than what he did the first time, and he ended up getting an even higher score the second time through than the first time through. Now that move, the double twist 1260, I don't know what the big deal is. I've done that before. <laughs> Just not on purpose. But still, all jokes aside, really, why is it that he did a more difficult run the second time through when he'd already won? I mean, he literally could have fallen on his knees and he still would have got gold. Why did he do a more difficult run the second time through? 
It's because when you know you've won, you have nothing to fear. And I hope that as we've been going through the book of Revelation, and we've been looking at the story of Jesus, I hope that that's what you have latched onto. Because we know, book of Revelation tells us, the entire Bible tells us, really. But we know that Jesus is victorious. And we as his people will be victorious with him. So yes, there are going to be some long days. And yes, we're gonna have to go through some difficulties. But we know that in the end, Jesus will be victorious and we as his people will be victorious with him. And when you know you've won, you can get through the hard times because you know how the story ends. And I think it's important that we are reminded of that. And the church of the first century, when John was writing the book of Revelation, needed to be reminded of that as well. Because sometimes the days are really, really tough. And Jesus doesn't hide this from us. In fact, in the Gospel of John, listen to what Jesus says. In this world, you will have trouble. Thanks, Jesus. We appreciate that a whole lot. In this world, you will have trouble. Why does Jesus say that? Well, one, Jesus wants to speak the truth to us. And two, Jesus knows that the world that we are living in right now, currently, is not the world that God originally created for us. We right now are living in a world that has been hijacked by sin and by death. And so because of that, the world that God created now is hostile towards him. And if it's hostile toward him, then why would we not expect the world also to treat us the same way as his people? We live in a world right now that is under the curse of sin. And it's like that. It's under this curse because it's what we chose you see, it was never supposed to be that way. Sometimes when we think about the story of God and man, we think that everything started in Genesis chapter three when mankind chose to rebel against God and sin. And we decided to aim at a different target than God wanted us to aim for. We thought something else other than God would satisfy us and fulfill us and we were wrong. And so sin entered into our lives and corrupted the world that God created. And we think that the story of us and God begins there in Genesis chapter three, but it really doesn't. The story of God's relationship with us begins in Genesis 1 and 2. And after God originally created everything and he created the human race, look at what the Bible says. It says, God saw all that he had made and it was very good. Meaning it was perfect. It was right. And God created the human race to live in a paradise called Eden. The Garden of Eden that was free from all Sickness and pain, suffering, loss, worry, stress, even death. That's what we were made for. That's where God wanted us to live. But we chose something different. And by rebelling against God, we didn't just invite sin into our lives. We invited sin into the creation. And I think deep down, all of us know that the world that we live in right now it's not as it should be. I get this sense oftentimes when I watch the news or read some news story online and I hear about more violence in the world. When I hear about sickness and disease and tragedy, I think something just isn't right. This isn't how things are supposed to be. Every time I hear of another person diagnosed with cancer or a family torn apart by addiction 
or a death that's been caused by a drunk driver, I just think, this isn't right. This isn't how it's supposed to be. Every time I hear about another divorce, another broken home, another abuse situation, another robbery, another senseless mass shooting, another case of depression, another catastrophic storm, another layoff, another foreclosure, another funeral. There's something deep within me, a voice deep within me that cries out, this isn't right. It's not supposed to be this way. And the reason why I think that sometimes, and you probably do too, is because it wasn't supposed to be that way. You and me, we were wired for Eden. We were wired to live in a paradise with God, free from all those things that keep us up at night. We were wired for something much different than what we are currently experiencing now. But we chose to abandon what God wanted for us. But here's the good news of the gospel. And this news is found all throughout the Bible and it is especially highlighted throughout the book of Revelation. God has not abandoned his original plan for us. We may have walked away from his plan, but he has not abandoned his original plan for us. And over and over again throughout the book of Revelation, what we are given is hope because Revelation is letting us know that God is working in this world right now. Even with all this pain and suffering, God is allowing it to happen for a greater purpose because he is doing everything that he's doing and allowing everything to happen that's happening in our world right now to get us back to what we lost, to get us back to paradise, to get us back to his original plan, to get us back to Eden. And that's why over and over again in the book of Revelation, we read about this hope that we have. In fact, Jesus ends Revelation by saying, blessed are those who obey the words of the prophecy written in this book. This is how you continue to live under God's blessing. This is how you continue to have uncheckable hope in the midst of uncertain times because the whole point of what's happening right now is for God to get us back to where we started. And as we get to the end of the book of Revelation today, as we wrap up our series, Alpha and Omega, this is the theme that we're going to see. We're gonna see that the end of the story is the promise of a new beginning, that Eden is not forever lost, that the curse is going to be reversed, that God is going to reclaim his creation, that Jesus is coming back to make everything right again. Revelation is promising us that paradise will be restored. And so we're gonna talk about that today. And I know you're excited, I am too. And we're gonna be in the last two chapters of the book of Revelation. And so right before we get to Revelation chapter 21, again, don't have time to go through everything. This is an overview study of Revelation. But we see the final judgment takes place. And basically what happens is Satan and all of his followers and all of his minions, they are judged and they are taken to the lake of fire for all eternity. So they are separated, removed from God's people. God's people then are taken from the present earth, the earth that we now live on, up into the present heaven to be reunited with all of God's people who have died and gone on before us, who are in heaven. And as all this is happening, John sees this, Revelation chapter 21. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and the sea was no more. I love this language and I want for you to see what John is seeing here. 
See, John is seeing that as the old earth, which is the current earth that we now live on, and the current heaven, the current heaven where God and his people are, as those things are fading away, passing away, because they're going to be replaced, as those things are fading away, John sees at the same time a new heaven and a new earth coming on the scene. And this new heaven and new earth seem to be united as one, as if God and man will forever be together, never to be separated again. This new heaven and this new earth will be a perfect unity, a perfect blend of physicality and spirituality where there is no sin, where we, God's people, will live forever. And I love that it uses the word new that it uses because there were several different Greek words for new, but the word that John uses to describe this new heaven and new earth literally means to make fresh, to renew, to make new again. In other words, what John is telling us here is that God is making his creation new again. He's giving us back what we walked away from. And John continues. He says in verse two, and I saw the holy city the new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. So John sees the new Jerusalem coming down out of the old heaven to inhabit the new heaven and the new earth. What is this new Jerusalem? Well, this is the church. And the reason why we know that is John switches his imagery here to call this new Jerusalem a bride who's dressed and ready for her groom. Throughout the New Testament, who's referred to as the bride of Christ? The church, right? And this isn't the only time that we see the church referred to as the new Jerusalem. In the book of Hebrews, look at what it says. It says, but you have come to Mount Zion, to the heavenly Jerusalem, the city of the living God, to the church of the firstborn. Talking about Jesus, whose names are written in heaven. That's why as, as you read on in these next few verses about this new Jerusalem, you see the number 12 pop up over and over and over again as John gives us the dimensions of this city because the number 12, remember we've talked about this in apocalyptic literature, always represents God's people. So when you hear new Jerusalem, don't just think city. This is God's people. This is God's community. This is his family. And they are leaving the current heaven, the old heaven, to enter into this new heaven in this new earth, this permanent, final, eternal home where we will dwell with God forever. And so John continues and he says, and I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning or crying or pain anymore for the former things have passed away. And he who is seated on the throne said, behold, I am making all things new. Also, he said, write this down for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, it is done. I am the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end. See, what we see happening here is God recreating everything so that we can have a home to live in. And did you catch what verse five said? Behold, I am making all things new. There's that word again. I am making everything new again. 
fresh again. I am recreating, restoring everything. Jesus is coming back to restore everything back to what God originally intended it to be. So when you think about our eternal home, don't imagine us being disembodied spirits floating around on clouds playing harps. I used to hear that or stuff like that when I was a kid in church, and I thought that sounded really boring, honestly. You know, I, I don't, you know, I mean, heaven's better than the alternative. I don't want to go to hell, but that sounds really boring to me. That's what I used to think when I was a kid. That's not what life is going to be in the new heaven, the new earth. It's going to be a perfect blend, a perfect unity of physicality and spirituality. See, sometimes we think that the physical is bad, but spiritual is good. That's not how it was when God originally created everything. God created physicality, and he said it was very good. See, we're going to really live. I mean, have you ever had one of those moments when you've like been out on a lake or maybe you've been at the beach or in the mountains or you've been in your happy place, wherever that is. Maybe it's on your back porch watching an Oklahoma sunset. I don't know. Have you ever had one of those moments where you've just been observing God's creation and everything is just so peaceful and calm and it just feels right in that moment. And you think, man, I wish this moment would never end. But it eventually does. In that one moment, everything seems right, but eventually we have to deal with the effects of the curse again, don't we? And what the new heaven and new earth is gonna be is that moment of satisfaction, that moment of peace, that moment of of contentment in God's creation is never going to disappear. We are gonna really live. And I believe in the new heaven and new earth, just like Adam and Eve had jobs to do in the, Eden, in the Garden of Eden, we're gonna be astoundingly productive. Now, it's not gonna be stressful. It's not gonna be work. It's not gonna be painful or anything like that. But we're, gonna, we're gonna actually gonna live and feel fulfilled and satisfied and content as we do life with God. We're gonna live like we have never lived before. And what God intended us to have in Genesis 1 and 2 is restored in Revelation 21 and 22. And I want you to notice, if you were to read on today, and I hope you go back and you read these passages on your own, what is found in this new heaven and new earth. John says the tree of life is there. When's the last time we physically have seen the tree of life in scripture? Back in the Garden of Eden. Remember, that's what Adam and Eve ate from, the tree of life. And then once they sinned, God had to close off the garden so that they could not go back to the tree of life anymore. Now, in this new heaven and new earth, guess what? The tree of life is back for God's people to enjoy. There's a great river of life that runs down the middle of the city. There are trees that yield fruit everywhere. Sounds like a garden to me. And there's no curse, no sin, no death, no pain, no suffering, no tears, no chaos, no curse. Sounds a lot like Eden to me. And that's the whole point. Because early on in the book of Revelation, when Jesus was writing directly to the churches or speaking directly to the churches, look at what he promised He says, to him who overcomes, to him who makes it through all the troubles of this life, to him who overcomes, I will give the right to eat from the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. The whole point of God doing everything that he's doing, the whole point of God allowing for sin to continue to work in this world, the whole point for God to allow suffering to happen is so that he can continue to work and bring more and more people to his son so that we can be ready for this new paradise, this new Eden, this new creation. And this has been God's plan all along. If you jump back into Acts chapter three, the second gospel sermon that we have recorded, listen to what Peter says. Peter says, Jesus must remain in heaven. He's explaining why Jesus had to ascend into heaven after he rose from the dead. Jesus must remain in heaven until the time comes for God to what? 
Restore everything. This has been his plan all along, as he promised long ago through the holy prophets. You see, Jesus came the first time to restore a people who would be worthy to live in this new home that he is coming the second time to restore, to bring about. And why is it that God didn't bring about this new home first? Well, none of us would have been worthy to live there. See, Peter tells us this. Peter says, but in keeping with his promise, we are looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth, the home of righteousness. But remember what Paul says in Romans? None are righteous, no, not one. What's the point of creating a new home, the home of righteousness, when none of us are worthy enough to live there? See, Jesus came the first time to redeem us, to restore a people, to make his people right so that we could then inhabit this new heaven and new earth. And when he comes a second time, we're gonna be ready for it. We're gonna be considered righteous in God's sight so that we can walk through the gates of this new home and live there for all eternity with Jesus. And I don't know about you, but that gets me pumped. That gets me excited. And what John is trying to remind us of in this passage as he wraps up Revelation is this new home, it is so worth it. You don't want to miss it. And he tells us why it's worth it. See, John gives us some clues with all this symbolic language in Revelation about what's going to be in this new heaven and new earth. But he also does something else. He also takes time to tell us what is not going to be in the new heaven and the new earth. See, I, had, I have a friend, his name is John. He preaches at Southland Christian Church in Lexington. And before he was at Southland, John was a missionary in Haiti. And he tells a story that when he was in Haiti and he was ministering to the people there, that he would try to describe America to them. And those who had never been to America, they just couldn't picture it. And so he would say, you know, how do you describe, you know, like air conditioning and running water and for that matter, Walmart? You know, the people have never experienced that. They just couldn't comprehend it. And so what he started to do when he would talk about America is he would mention what is not in America. And he would say, imagine a land where there isn't widespread malaria. Imagine a land where there isn't widespread poverty. Imagine a land where there's not a brutal government that could kill you any day without any warning. And he would start to talk about what isn't in America. And the Haitian people that he was speaking to, their eyes would get real big and they would say, we wanna live in that place, in that land. And I think that's what John is doing here. Yeah, he tells us some stuff about what's gonna be in the new heaven, new earth, but he also takes a lot of time to tell us what is not going to be there. And what's not going to be there gives me a lot of hope. He uses this phrase, no more, over and over again. And here's the first time that he uses it. He says that God will wipe every tear from their eyes, our eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain, anymore for the former things have passed away. See, we all live right now under the curse of death and none of us can escape physical death, right? And because of that, death looms over all of us. In fact, Satan uses death as an enemy, as a weapon against us. First Corinthians 15 calls death an enemy and that's why no matter how much hope we have, death still feels, physical death still feels so unnatural to us. 
Every time I go to a funeral, I just think this isn't right. Why is it that you have teenagers and students and young adults who act like they're going to live forever until all of a sudden they start to get you know, older and then their body starts to ache and all of a sudden they're weaker than they used to be. It's like, wait a second, my body is falling apart. But you don't know that until you get there. There's a season when you think, I'm just going to live forever. We think that because we were wired to live forever. And even sometimes when we get older, and we start to have all those you know, joints start to ache and you know, body parts ache and whatever else. And we start to feel tired and weak all the time. We still think that we're going to live forever. And growing old isn't fun. And we think, why? Why is it I'm having this pain? Why is it I'm aging? Why is it that I'm more frail than what I used to be? And we start to think, why? Because in our minds, we think this should not be happening. My daughter, Addie, they had their 100th day of school this past week at school. And so they had an assignment where they had to draw and they had to write, when I am 100, and I know you can't see that right now, so let's blow it up. This is what she wrote on her paper. She said, when I am 100, I will sleep a lot. That's what she wrote. <laughs> and some of you guys, you know what she's saying, right? You get it. See, we get tired as we get older and worn out. And we don't want to feel tired, do we? But we do. And the reason why we don't want to and the reason why it feels so unnatural is because we were never supposed to age. We were never supposed to die. I have said in funerals before when I've preached funerals that death is the most unnatural thing on the face of the planet because we are wired to live forever. And that's why even though we can have hope in the midst of death, I'm not denying that, we can have joy even in the midst of death because of our hope that's in Jesus. It still just doesn't feel right, does it? Because that's not what we were made for but John says there's coming a day when there's gonna be no more pain, no more aches, no more decay, no more aging, no more frailty, no more loss because we will live forever with the one that death now answers to. But then John goes on to tell us something else. He says, on no day will its gates, speaking of this new home that we're gonna live in, will its gates ever be shut for there will be no night there no night, meaning no darkness. And we know bad things happen in the dark, right? What is John telling us? There's gonna be nothing to fear. We're never gonna have to shut the gates of this new home that we're gonna live in because we're not gonna have any enemies. There's not gonna be any worries, no anxiety, no pressure. We're not gonna worry about somebody attacking us or sneaking up on us. We're not gonna worry about somebody robbing us in the middle of the night. We're gonna have no worries. We're gonna have no fears. There will be no more fear in the new heaven and the new earth because God will be with us and he will protect us. He will keep us safe. And what that also means is there will be no more hiding, no more running, no more trying to escape because we will have nothing to fear. But then John goes on to say, no longer will there be any curse. The throne of God and the lamb will be in the city and his servants will serve him. No more curse. You know what that means? You see, not only when we chose to sin, did sin corrupt our spiritual lives, but sin also corrupted the creation itself. That's why we have natural disasters, hurricanes, tsunamis, tornadoes, blizzards, earthquakes, you name it. That's why we experience tragedies. That's why we have catastrophes. That's why we experience all this chaos. And what John is saying is in the new heaven and the new earth, there will be no more chaos, no more uncertainty, no more unknowns. All of that is going to be removed and there will be no more emptiness. We will never want for anything. We will never lack anything. We will live fully whole and fully satisfied lives. 
And when John sees this new home that we are going to live in, I know why he responds the way he does. He responds by saying, amen, which just means yes, yes, come, Lord Jesus. John is ready for it because he's looking around at the world that he's currently living in and he's seeing all the pain and all the heartache and all the suffering and all the persecution and John is saying, yes, come Lord Jesus, I am ready for this new home because John is longing for a day when all things will be new again. All things will be as God intended for them to be. And I don't know about you, but I'm longing for that day as well. And I imagine you are too. And I think really deep down, whether you're a follower of Jesus or not, we're all longing for a place where all things are new. Because we know the world that we live in right now just isn't right. I saw this video this past week. Somebody was showing it because of it being Super Bowl and football's on everybody's mind. But there's this football clip of the Nebraska football team back in 2013, they kind of adopted this little boy that had brain cancer. And I want for you to notice what they did for him. Take a look at this video. Coming out of the field right now, this fourth down and short. For the red team. Jack Hoffman has been adopted really by this football team. A young man who has battled brain cancer is on the field right now for the Huskers. One more snap for Taylor Martinez too, who will hand it off to Jack. So Taylor gets the shotgun set, gives it to Jack. Here he goes. He's got blockers out in front. There he goes. Jack is running the midfield. Listen to this crowd. As Jack Hoffman, the young man that, as I mentioned, has really been adopted by this football team to score a touchdown. Oh, wow. What a moment. And both benches empty. That, that was a moment right there. Wow, goosebumps. Why is it that that football team did that for that little boy? Why is that we get emotional? So like, why did that commentator say, wow, goosebumps? Why do we do stuff like that? Because when we see a little boy with cancer, we know that isn't right. When we hear about pain and suffering in this world, we know it isn't right. When we see violence in this world, we know it isn't right. When we hear about senseless loss in this world, we know it isn't right. And what John is trying to remind us of, what Jesus is trying to tell us, is that do not build your dream home in a ghost town because this world is passing away. And that's why I keep on my key ring, and I've shared this before, a blank key that doesn't open any door on this earth. I've had this key on my key ring for years because I want to be reminded that I have a home waiting for me outside of this world. And I keep this ring, this key on my key ring so that every now and then when I feel it or I find it or maybe I'm trying to open up a door and I get the wrong key, I grab it by mistake. I might get frustrated at first I'm trying to get the door open, but then I think, no, this home that I'm trying to get in, this isn't my permanent home. This office I'm trying to get in, it's a temporary place for me to work. Every key, every other key on this key ring, it opens up temporary stuff, but this key reminds me that I have a new home, an eternal home waiting for me that I will live in with God forever. And I don't want to miss out on that home 
because I wanna live in the new heaven and the new earth, a place of no more. Because in the new heaven and the new earth, there will be no more cancer, there will be no more divorce, no more rejection, no more loneliness, no more depression, no more Band-Aids, no more tissue boxes, no more crutches, no more wheelchairs, no more pacemakers, no more radiation, no more chemotherapy, no more suicide bombers, no more school shootings, no more security checkpoints, no more persecution, no more x-rays, no more MRIs, no more anxiety medication, no more middle of the night phone calls, no more crosses along the side of the road, no more miscarriages, no more child abuse, no more rape, no more breakups, no more tornado sirens, no more typhoons, no more hurricanes, no more earthquakes, no more tsunamis, no more flu shots, no more acne, no more love handles, no more double chins, no more bad breath, no more body odor, no more waxing, no more Rogaine, no more socks without a match, no more stubbed toes, no more yelling, no more fighting, no more bullying, no more traffic, no more road rage, no more racism, no more addiction, no more hormones, no more diets, no more guilt, no more legalism, no more pretending, no more injustice, no more infertility, no more infidelity, no more insecurity, no more infomercials, no more tumors, no more security systems, no more embarrassing moments, no more sleepless nights, no more concussions, no more autism, no more sensory issues, no more bipolar disorder, no more child protective services, no more needles, no more taxes, no more bills, no more bill collectors, no more mechanics, no more dentists, no more doctors, no more lawyers, no more elections, no more funeral homes, no more nursing homes, no more orphanages, no more waiting rooms, no more hospitals, no more treatment centers, no more courtrooms, no more broken homes, no more slums, no more tear-stained divorce papers, no more foreclosure notices, no more loneliness, no more crying, no more pain, no more death, because the one who is seated on the throne is making all things new. And there's a reason why when you're baptized here at First Church, we give you a shirt that says made new. The reason why Jesus has not come back yet is because God is patient with us wanting for more people to be made new in his son so that they can be prepared for the new home that he is creating for them. You know, it's funny to me, not funny, but it's eye-opening, I guess, that Jesus says, yes, I am coming soon. And that word soon in Greek just means at any time. In other words, when he comes, there's not gonna be time to run down the aisle. There's not gonna be time to call your preacher. There's not gonna be time to say, no, I wanna get baptized real fast. When he comes, it's gonna be like that. And John says, come Lord Jesus, because he was ready. But what I wanna ask today is, can you say those three words confidently today? Can you say right now without any doubt, come Lord Jesus, I'm ready. Because if you can't say those words confidently, we want you to be able to. See, we're gonna have a moment here of worship and we're gonna celebrate the great I am. And as you leave today, we've actually got a blank key for everybody. If you want a blank key, you can take one, you can put it on your key ring and you can 
remember that you have a home that's waiting for you, an eternal home that God has prepared for you. But before you take one of those keys today, do you know that you can say, without a doubt, come Lord Jesus? Because as we have this worship time, we're also gonna have a response time. We're gonna have people down front. We're gonna have some elders wearing some green shirts and some staff members as well that are gonna be down here to pray with you. Some other volunteers who will also be in green shirts. If you want somebody to pray with you, to talk with you, if you've got some questions, we'd love to talk with you. Come on down today. We pray for several people after the last service. But today, if you can't say those three words, come Lord Jesus confidently, with total assurance, we don't want you to leave here today standing on shaky ground. Because look at what the Bible says at the end of the book of Revelation. Blessed are those who wash their robes that they may have the right to the tree of life and may go through the gates into the city. You right now can wash your robes and make yourself right in the eyes of God by submitting your life to Jesus, by going all in with Him. And so in between services today, we are baptizing anybody who wants to be baptized. We baptized somebody after the first service. And there's already others who are talking to us about it. And you might be thinking, hey, but I didn't bring any clothes today to change into. That's okay. I showed you the free shirt that we give you. We've got shorts and towels. We've got everything that you need. You might be thinking, but you know, I want somebody to be here to witness this. Guys, the only person that you need to be here is Jesus and he's here waiting for you. And even if you're thinking, you know, well, I was sprinkled as an infant and I don't want to offend my parents. Guys, the reason why your parents brought you to church and did that for you is because they wanted you to have a personal relationship with Jesus. And this would be a fulfillment of that. Today, there are a thousand excuses for why you shouldn't do it. But there's only one reason why you should do it. To be able to say with total confidence, come Lord Jesus, I am ready. So today, as we have this moment of invitation, if you can't say those words confidently, we'd love to talk with you. And we're ready to baptize you today. We're ready to talk to you today. And again, if you need prayer or something else, we're gonna be down front. But I pray that if you have any doubts, any questions, that you will seek us out today because when you know you've won, you have nothing to fear. Let's pray. Father, I thank you so much for this time we've had to celebrate the new home that you are preparing for us. And we can't wait to live there with you. But Father, if there is anybody today listening to this message who has some questions or maybe is not right with you or maybe hasn't taken that step to go all in with you, I pray that they do it today. Because we're not guaranteed tomorrow, but we have right now. And I don't want anybody to walk out of this room without being able to say, come, Lord Jesus. In the name of Jesus, I pray, amen.